Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, Join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Hey, this is Chris Pandolfi from the infamous String Dusters, and this podcast is part of the Osiris podcast family. Osiris is a growing community of music and culture podcasts connecting music fans with conversation, commentary, and music. Osiris works in partnership with Relics. Check them out for all kinds of new music, news, and information. Welcome to episode 139 of the Helping Friendly Podcast. This is Matt, and in just a moment, we're going to send you to an interview that RJ did with the folks from Lore Social, a new partner of Osiris. 
Matt and Ryan from Lore have created a really cool setlist game that you can play for this summer's shows. Uh, I think we're all going to play along here at Team HF Pod, and um, before the the tour starts, we'll try to share our, our handles for that game on social media so that you can play against us and uh, we can all play along together. In fish news, it looks like we're going to get a new Vita Blue album soon. Uh, Paige was apparently spotted in New Orleans over the weekend playing with Russell Batiste, who mentioned that um, on the stage that they uh, they have a new album coming out. Um, so I don't know about you, but I'm really excited to hear from that band after a decade of silence. Before we go to the interview, I wanted to mention that uh, I'm going to be at the Charlottesville Trey Show next week. I believe Jonathan's going to try to go as well. Um, stoked to see Ray back in action. Uh, this is going to be his first show back on stage after his surgery. So we've all been wishing him well and uh, should be great to see him back in action with uh, Trey and the boys. If you are going to go to that show, uh, let us know. Uh, hit us up in advance. Um, tell us that you're going to be there. We'd love to say hi to as many people as possible and uh, hook you up with a sticker if you if you haven't gotten one yet. Uh, or uh, if you know what we look like, uh, just go ahead and try and find us at the, at the show. Don't be shy. As always, if you like what you're hearing here, please... Uh, uh, tell your friends about us. Um, leave a review on Apple Podcasts uh, if you haven't already. That that really helps us uh, get more attention on the show and, and kind of uh, get more of you listening to us. All right, enough of me. Let's go to the interview with Matt and Ryan of Lore Social. Enjoy. What's happening to you and me? God grant me serenity to remember who Hey everyone, this is RJ. I'm here with a special guest co-host, Tom Marshall. Hey everybody. And we're here with Matt and Ryan, who are the co-founders of Lure Social, L-U-R-E social.com. What's up guys? Hey, how's it going RJ? Tom? How are you? Good to see you. Good to see you. Good to be here. Great to see everybody. To, great to see you guys. We're here in New York on um, one of the hottest days of the year so far. Um, I melted on my way over here. <laughs> but we made I it. melted in the subway. But we made it. And now we're here in a nice, cool place. It's so nice. Um, So, guys, thanks for for coming on. And um, we've been talking for a long time about getting you guys on the podcast. So we're excited to to finally chat. Likewise. Yeah, thanks so much. This is... It's a lot of fun. Yeah, and we're going to talk a little bit about Lure, of course, but I think we always like to start with just asking people to tell tell our audience a little bit about your fish journey, how you got to where you are today, your introduction to fish. I know you guys have been seeing shows for a long time. Um, I think people would be interested to hear just sort of when you started seeing shows and um, you know memorable points along the way. Well, I'm the lyricist for... Oh, not me. <laughs> <laughs> Tom dates back pretty far as I well. know. <laughs> Tom's first show was at Hampton 09. Um, he really liked it. Um, yeah, I don't know, Ryan or Matt, if you want to, either you guys yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'll start. Um, my first show was May 20-something of uh, 1991 um, at the Salisbury School in Connecticut. Um, and, uh, you know, for, for me, the, the initiation was like what, you, what you've read about or you hear about from time to time, where the, there were tapes circulating um, with probably the same 10 songs, just in different sequences, but um, <clears throat> somehow made their way to me, and uh, my first listen warranted you know, going to see them live, and um, I don't know, 300-plus shows later, um, still going. What was, the, what was the crowd like at that show? Was it, like, sparse? Sparse. Or? Sparse. Amazing. Do you remember? Like, is it pretty clear, like detail-wise? Of yeah, what it, was, show was it, like? was a, it was a. It was a, like I said, it was a May day. 
um, sunny. It was a daytime show. Uh, there were a, a few boarding schools who had congregated, who were invited to to go to the show at the Salisbury School. I, I don't remember exactly which ones, um, but you know maybe there were a few hundred kids who attended along with some kind of teacher, the, the, probably the youngest, you know, shortest straw teacher who, who was assigned to chaperone us. Um, <laughs> it's funny now to think about, like, yeah, let's send a bunch of 13 to 17-year-olds to a fish show. Yeah, with super, supervised by, like, a 23-year-old <laughs> yeah. teacher. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That sounds like a really cool school. <laughs> we should find that teacher. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we right. should find that teacher. That's amazing, and that's when, I mean, they were, like you said, sort of more limited song selection, but just raging. I mean, like, playing so tightly. I don't know if it was... feels like it would have been really loud and really awesome to be there. It was great. I, I remember that the stage was, was pretty sparse, um, and, you know, I feel like it was ground level. We were, it was in a, a, kind of the, the outfield of a baseball diamond at the school. Wow. Um, and, you know, the, the kids basically took up, up the outfield, and the teachers stood out of bounds or in the home run area. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, you know, it was it was, but the first first I, I you know, everybody's seen concerts, but I'd never seen one like that before. Um, you know, Springsteen and, and the Stones and all the big kind of stuff that I'd seen before that. It, despite the theatrics and the grandeur of all of those other shows, you know, nothing set the hook like was set that day in, in May of 1991. Wow, fish set the hook. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So in, in a reversal <laughs> of the metaphor. Awesome. Which, Ryan, which became a double entendre for our name, Lore. Lore. Fish right. set the hook, and you know, we caught the lore. Yeah. We threw out the lore, and it, it fish fish caught us in the first cast. Yeah. What about you? Were did you guys know each other at that time or no? Uh, not at the moment. Not in the early nineties. My first show was June nineteen ninety five at Jones Beach. Okay. Yep. Uh, they played two shows. In late June, I went to both of them, and uh, I was in a band growing up. I still play musically, so um, I'm a guitarist and a keyboardist and a lead singer in a band. And I was super into music, recording, playing live, and um, Hoist came out just before that, and I, you know, I got totally hooked and went to Jones Beach and saw those two shows. And from there on in, I was I was I was completely enamored. And do you guys remember? Um, maybe Matt, back to you. Like, what your first memorable time when you were like, "This is a band I'm going to keep seeing for hundreds and hundreds of shows." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I, after that that first show in 1991, I, I probably didn't see them for a few months. Um, but then, what the, the, the shows that I remember is like the ones that were really formative and like still to this day. In addition, to that that Salisbury one stick with me. Or um, the 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 New Year's Run shows in 1992. Um, some summer shows in 93, but then quite a few in 94, where it was like, all right, now I'm all in. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, some of those from 94 include the, the Beacon Run, including the Friday Night with the Country Horns. Uh -huh. and, um, the, the summer shows, there was a three-night run, you, you may remember, of Big Birch, uh, Canandaigua, and, and Sugarbush. A little bit of back and forth, and you kind of went... Uh, Big Birch, to the west west to Canandaigua, then back east to, to Sugarbush, but some great shows. And then fast forward to the fall, of course, there was the Halloween show, and, um, you know, Glens Falls was super memorable. Probably, I feel like, one of the longest shows other than, like, you know... Is that the White Album? Yes. Yeah. 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 But yeah. I, I, that was su surprisingly long. So that was probably the first show that you and I went to, because I, oh, right? I was just sort of getting on tour. Okay. Uh, I didn't do like a lot of those like crazy ones that you just mentioned with names that I can't pronounce. 
And then, you know, the, then without question, the, the, the New Year's run of 94, you know, in particular, the, you know, the Providence show was like, yeah. lights out. Just, oh, yeah. just so memorable. Um, so I've, those I've, are some of like, the, 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 the shows I remember most still to this day. I'm supposed to drink every time I mention the Providence Bowie um, <laughs> because it's been mentioned so many times on the, on the podcast. I think Big Birch, actually, that was, I think, 7, 13, 94. That was one of the first like tapes that I got through tape trading and you know probably that fall but it was I'll always remember those tapes um but that that summer and fall were man they were they were on tour for I mean it seemed like the whole year in 94 at least um I didn't see my first show till fall of 95 so that was when I was like getting the tapes and wishing that I could, could go to shows and I wasn't they there were a yet. touring machine and yeah. just going nuts yeah it was hard to catch every show but uh, our friend David Steinberg wrote a book about yeah, yeah. He, he was out on tour with them in 94 yeah. How about you, uh, Ryan? Have you seen as many shows as your uh, counterpart here? Um, I haven't hit 300 yet. Um, the number is, I lost track approaching 200. Uh-huh. Um, it happens. Yeah, it happens. Um, <laughs> I've saved most of all my ticket stubs. I can you know, probably go back and, and figure it out. But um, It's a perk of being in the several hundreds and like you lose count eventually. That's, that's nice. like I think that's a rite of passage. It is. Like, yeah. I don't know exactly, but you know. I think counting to 100 was... You know that was important, and then after that, I just realized how special the band was. It didn't really matter that the numbers; it was just the quantity, just the the time spent. With I'm that way with birthdays now. Yeah, right. <laughs> doesn't we, matter. We did write backwards down birthday. the number line, so I guess that you know. Kind of <laughs> right. <so. laughs> and Ryan, what about like formative memories for you? I mean, were you hooked after the first Jones Beach show? Or yeah, um, I was. Like I said, hooked. I guess my first hook was just. Literally, uh, when Hoist came out, and I was recording in the, the Cultural Harbor Studios, and uh, we started doing some recordings, some offtakes of Hoist and things like that with a couple, couple of my bandmates, and then we went to the shows in '95, and um, from then on in, it was, it was, it was all in. I did Clifford Ball, uh, I did Lemon Wheel, I did all the, uh, um, all the, all the festivals mm-hmm. as I was in. It was in high school. Um, for me, so it's pretty easy, you know, as opposed to now. Um, more yeah. responsibilities to be <laughs> it's had. It's a little more complicated. Yeah, we did. I did all the all the big festivals. Um, have many great stories to share, but it, you know, the festivals probably really were my my first. You know, that was when it when it when it really when it really started to matter. Yeah, um, for me. And I think the Jones Beach David Bowie is something that people point to still yes. as like a monumental jam. Like it. It's up there, so it's up there. My first, so the first show is the first of the two Jones Beaches. They open with Axlet Two, which uh, you know, Trey is listening. You know, hope, please bring it back. Um, we love it. <laughs> we love one, but you know, <laughs> for me, that was my first live song I ever heard, and um, I still sing the lyrics to two every time I hear one. And they're both great, but it's uh, Axlet Two. There's some weird history there where uh, there was some thinking that the lyrics were objectionable to the first one. And that maybe with Hoist being like a little bit more of a chance of a, a breakout album, that they had to kind of tame down the lyrics. That was sort of my memory of it. <laughs> hmm. And uh, Trey grabbed uh, a less um, uh, provocative—I don't know what the word is—offensive <laughs> is probably the actual word—a uh, poem of mine, and, and adapted it into the same song, Exilla. Summer, so, summer sitting by the pool. Yeah, summer sitting by the pool. Right. Which sounds. 
What, was there a particular song. summer Saved by the Pool moment when you uh, wrote that? Or? No, no, but I was just, uh, well, maybe. <laughs> but uh, no, I was just sort of uh, adding that historical footnote that perhaps Trey doesn't play it because he feels that it was also kind of like it's, you know, it's a sibling that didn't really deserve to, to be there in the first place in a weird way. That's an interesting... We, love, we like both siblings. Yeah, that's a yeah. good footnote. I was trying to lure Tom into telling songwriting stories, but... Well, we're in the right place almost. for luring know, to happen. <laughs> um, did you, Tom, did you get? Did you catch shows like that? Did you go to, like, random small shows in the early 90s, or were you... Well, yeah, when I said earlier that I wasn't on tour, uh, you know, when Matt was on tour, that's wrong, I mean, but I would... I you would, would go to of, shows. I would hit them occasionally, yeah. I had things happening. 93 was... Uh, my first child <laughs> um, but no I went to way earlier shows of course and back at Nectars and stuff and like that and you would see them when you could and I would see them whenever I could yeah for sure I can't imagine I think most people listening can't imagine like walking into a place where there's 100 people or 50 people or 10 people or whatever and seeing fish especially because like Trey's playing at that time was just like it was he played so fast and so precise and like I don't know. I feel like people's minds would have just been blown, like seeing seeing a band like that just walking into a random concert. Well, I think they are, you know, because Matt's Matt's one example. Mm-hmm. Tom's another, and that, mm-hmm. that's why we're still here mm-hmm. uh, twenty years later. To you know, no pun intended. No pun, <laughs> no pun taken. Uh, still talking about this. So tell us a little bit about how you guys met and and came to be fish fish friends, or um, maybe fish friends is how I would describe it. Uh, so. So it sounds like a weird like. <laughs> tell us how you became fish friends, but yeah. it could be friends, but you friends with a PA. Yeah. but you can't say that on a podcast. Exactly. Fish so friend. fish friends. Uh, so so Matt and I met. Um, I, his Matt's wife and I went to high school together, and I guess it was two thousand nine ish. Um, we they had had a summer party, um, and we had come over there. We had never met Matt before. And this was right after uh, the leave the Camden shows, and uh, was it Camden? It was Camden, maybe two thousand ten, but yeah, two thousand ten yeah, possibly. And uh, so Matt was hosting the party. Probably had about eighty people there. We were the first people to arrive in a party I didn't really want to go to in the first place. And um, I came up to him and I said, "Listen, sorry, I'm, I may be a little slow today. I was just went, was at a concert last night. Uh, you may, I'm not sure if you heard of the band before. There, it was Fish." And, um, I guess our wives say that doves started flying from our ears the second I said that because <laughs> I'm telling this to a guy who's back in 2010 or whatever had already seen you know, well over 200 fish shows and uh, I guess it was like our wives says uh, love at first sight from a fish perspective <laughs> um, subsequently we've been uh, best friends ever since then amazing and, and thanks thanks to fish yeah did you um, in the same town or near the same in the same area, right? Yeah, so Matt grew up in New Jersey. I grew up on Long Island. He moved to Long Island. Um, I guess you know, lost the battle with the wife, and I was from there. And uh, we you know, <laughs> live in the same town, and that's how we met at that, I fateful, I would that just fateful ass- night. I would just assume that before that, like if fish people are within a certain radius of each other, just like they find each other. Yeah, well, we did. I mean, I guess that yeah, is that what was, happened. That was the but, first thing I ever said to him, I guess. Was, but there was yeah. no online meeting first, because no. I've met so many people online that I'd then meet in person because of fish, but it's rarely, I feel like it's rarely the opposite these days, but maybe that's more of a me thing. I don't know. Yeah. You're just always online. <laughs> I think it goes back to Jones Beach again, and it was our, I think our first show may have been Jones Beach, um, and then we hit Camden, which is 
one of my most memorable shows, June 10, 2011. Uh, it was it was just a fantastic show. As a matter of fact, when I when I saw Trey, I met Trey at a Neil Young show at Radio City, and nice. ended up chatting for. That's we bumped into him at set break because we were sitting a row apart, and we had a great twenty minute conversation. Um, and I brought up that June 10, 11 show with him at Camden. It was just it was just perfection. Um, Curtain Width is a huge one of my favorites, and if you guys go back and listen to 6, 10, 11, Curtain With, they closed the first set that night. It's, we should it's, put it on it's, right now. Yeah, let's, it's absolutely flawless. Let's play a little bit of that right now. So guys, do you? So you've, Matt, you've been seeing shows since since ninety one. Ryan since ninety five. Do you guys have favorite eras now, or do you like? Do you jump all around? It, it's, it's something I always ask people because I think we get like very strong and divergent opinions. I'm probably in too much of a habit of listening to shows that I've been to, mm. um, but across mo- eras across eras yeah um, but I kind of you know I'll have like streaks of a week or a month or something like that where I'll kind of concentrate on you know the 90s and mid 90s and then I'll pivot to you know 2014 something like that, like that. Um, it's not deliberate I think it's just maybe out of exhaustion but I, I need to be doing it, <laughs> I need to be doing a better job of listening to things which I have not been doing I, I was reading something about I'm forgetting his name, but it was, a, it was a Grateful Dead fan who endeavored to listen to every show available in order. In yeah, Jesse the, Jesse Jenner. Yeah, yeah. So, and yeah. I, I ambitiously tried doing that with uh, Fish shows. I think I made it to like 1990. Yeah, uh, wow. you're like I gotta skip forward. That is a it's an incredible task. I think Jesse's like at the in the late late 70s now. He's still doing it. Wow. Yeah, he's still doing it. Of the dead. Of the dead. Yeah. yeah. Not of fish. He's in the late 70s fish stuff, <laughs> which is basically Tom and Trey. And yeah, there's somewhere. some really good stuff. Yeah. It's hard to find them. That's I mean, fair. What about you? I think for me, also going back to playing in a band as well and knowing when these songs are created, you know, when, when a song gets created in the first place, and you got to obviously appreciate the early years and the beginnings because without that, you, you wouldn't have anything. Um, and, you know, my first show being '95. I'm obviously a huge fan of the, 90, you know, the late '90s, um, and also, uh, you know, I, I also think 2011. After they came back from hiatus in '09, I think 2011 was the inflection point of 3.0. That just did it for me. And I think if I was to guess, if I was to my opinion, any year of Fish, that's maybe the most underrated year where they've 
I think it's more impressive than maybe people are talking about would be 2011. Mm -hmm. It goes back to that, and I think that's when really they started hitting their stride. They've had two years back from the hiatus, um, two years of practicing together, and um, I think that's why we're at where we are now with just uh, this, you know the Baker's dozen, the magnificent play from these guys, and the fact that they've been together the whole time. Um, 2011 is an important year for me because I think that's where they really started taking off with 3.0. Yeah, I guess there's the early part of that year was the Bethel shows right at the beginning, mm -hmm. the end of May. But I think most people think of like Dick's 2012 as like the beginning of right. That's so what I was like saying. I think there, there was. I think like, there were some. Yeah. There's certainly some pockets. I'd suggest to you fans to go back and, like I said, the June show mm -hmm. and in 2011. There's just there's a lot of great um, hidden gems. I will say because they're not talked about as much. That's awesome. Yeah. I, it's something I don't listen to quite as much as like late 2012 onward. I don't necessarily have, you know, uh, eras per se. I, I do have um, moments, you know, and I remember. For example, that Sugarbush show in '94, the antelope that opened the second set, and you know, uh, just the, the antics that were going yeah. on th throughout that whatever 18 to 20 minutes. That was when that was the catapult, right? In in exactly. the middle of the antelope, and it was right before Trey's wedding, and there yeah, was like right. fishmen harassing him about that. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's like special. And, and so you were there. Yeah, well, I was there. And, and then you know, and as I said earlier, you know, there's, there's that the show two shows prior was, was the Big Bird show, which was similarly, you know, like holy, the second set of that show was just really wacky. Um, yeah, super memorable. And, and that one was was not necessarily small in the hundreds, maybe, but maybe it was like, you know, a thousand or two thousand. I don't even know. Small tent and, and base of the mountain there at, at the Big Bird Ski Resort. Um, so really good memories, but more kind of discreet than say full. You know, years or yeah. generations. So cool that you were there. One of the the ongoing things, my one of my co-hosts, Brad, who I started this podcast with, there was this one audience recording of Sugarbush '94 where it, I think Trey's in telling a story. Maybe it's during that whole thing, and you can hear this guy in the background go, "In Vermont, you do what you want," and it's just like this funny thing that just like it's so clear on the tapes, and it's something that we still say to each other. But those are like you know, there's someone over by the tapers just screaming, and the tapers are probably like. Fuck, man, you're ruining my whole thing. But that's really cool that you were, you were there and you were at some of those really, really cool moments. Were you that guy? <laughs> he was that guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's that's the whole point. You know, we, we gotta catch you, catch you, get you to admit. Um, so, so guys, so let's talk a little bit about Lure Social again. L U R E Social dot com, which people should check out if they haven't yet. Um, we started this podcast five years ago as a way to kind of appreciate the community, give back to the community, however you want to think about it. And since then, and, and before us, of course, there have been lots of websites and blogs. And um, Kelly Morris, who's been on Tom's podcast, her more project with the videos. There's so many great fan appreciation things, not to even to start to get into the art and the, all the things that have been created around the fish scene. Um, but you guys took a sort of different approach in terms of lure, which is based on fantasy gaming. And I'm curious to hear just like how the idea came together and how you guys came to start it. What is it, first of all? Why don't you describe it to us? Yeah, so um, look, it, it, I'm going to get there, but I'm going to give you the long answer intentionally. <laughs> uh, it, it, Ryan alluded to his, you know, it, it, our, our appreciation for music does extend beyond fish. You know, my. I recall my first concert ever in, in 1985, a giant stadium seeing Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band that that were in the USA tour. And, oh, nice! Um, That's awesome. You know, you, ha you have these these moments which are really, uh, you know, they form just unbe unbelievable impressions. And, and 
um, create memories. And now to your question, uh, I, a few years ago at, at the end of the New Year's run, uh, which just happened to kind of coincide with playoff football and the kind of end of truth of the playoff football season, we're like, man, two of the things which we really like, you know, seeing fish and watching football are, are, are coming to an end. Um, and that, that's unfortunate. Um, and we were also simultaneously reflecting on, you know, how the music industry is, is, has evolved over time. If you think about the construct, you know, say, you know, 60s, 70s, where artists largely were, were compensated or, or their legitimacy and relevance was predicated on album sales, right? Your platinum, double whatever it is. Um, and if you fast forward to today or, you know, shortly after the time we were having this discussion at the end of whatever New Year's show it, run it was, but, um, you know, Around that time, I feel like you, you two had just given away an album on, on Apple Music. And, you know, we all know what happened with Napster years, years prior to that. Mm -hmm. But it, what that revealed is that, you know, the, the, the construct of going into a studio and recording an album, it still matters. But that's really, from an artist's perspective, that's not necessarily a money-making proposition. What is, is performing. And, of course, you know, artists do that, some with terrific success. And... Um, even just stepping aside or stepping away from from jam bands, if you look at the success that like a Taylor Swift has, or you know, you name, you know, the Beaver, but, yeah, like a huge country star, you know, that, that that's that's really an unbelievable endeavor. And there's theatrics, and there's like really, really, really dedicated fan bases which go to those shows with, with some regularity. But what we all, you know, we've talked about it earlier. We go to we've, we've seen Fish and other bands like Fish with some regularity. And, we have no reservations about going a few nights in a row. But I think the proposition of going to see, I've never seen Taylor Swift, but I think the proposition of going to see her three nights in a row is really not one which I want to entertain. <laughs> um, but probably because nights two and three are the same as night one. And you know, there's no, you know, there's no. That's not the today. only reason you don't want to go see well, her. Yeah. <laughs> I have a daughter and uh, I took her to Taylor Swift and um, I, my seats were too good and I was I kind of looked around and realized I was the only like dad standing uh, anywhere near the stage and finally realized that there was like a dad retreat area <laughs> and I like went back to all the other dads finally a guy goes I was wondering when you were going to come here <laughs> I was in the wrong place but you're right um, my, my daughter even would admit that there was like one slot for one different song but all the others were the same that's right. Whereas you know, one of the things that we like, love about Fish, is that n no show is ever the same, and that that began to lend itself to this discovery of, you know, what can we do to heighten our engagement, heighten our enjoyment, and you know that that kind of again dovetailed with the end of the, the football season and, and, and the fantasy football season. and fantasy mm -hmm. football season, um, and you know so there was a. a Few months of discovery and, and frankly some some batting round of ideas, which got us to lower social as it stands today. Uh, yeah, I'd say just to, to dovetail and continue on his Matt's comments, um, we, we enjoyed playing fantasy football so much because we love we love football, we love the unknown outcomes of it. Mm -hmm. and we said, well, why don't we um, you know, try to do something a little more formal? Obviously, people have done this on the kind of back of the envelope with their two or three or five best friends around tour. What do you think they're going to open with? 
um, what do you think they might play tonight? But we wanted to do a um, you know more serious dive into you know how we can gamify this, and um, really for the for the exclusive reason of having fun around a band that we love. Mm -hmm. um, so that's when we you know we probably spent about two months coming up with point-based derivative-based scoring um, around uh, around a show. So it, you know if you if you go to lorsocial.com. You can, you know, encourage you guys to sign in, check it out. Um, we're obviously uh, we're going to be doing the whole fish tour. Uh, we've got a couple mini tours within this particular 2018 summer tour run. Um, you can jump in and out whenever you like, but there'll be a cumulative scoring totals for uh, the entire run for the summer tour 18, and we'll also be running games for uh, the Curveball um, Festival and also the Dicks Run. So nice. Um, you can play as many or as little as you want, but you know there are you can you know you can compete you know compete for those three particular uh, mini tours, if you will. Um, and when you do log in, maybe we can tell you guys about. Yeah, that. yeah. Walk us through it, and if anyone listening is on there, is not driving um, mm -hmm. or or doing anything else dangerous, you can log on to LureSocial.com. Operating and, a crane? Yeah. Don't operate a crane a lot of, on We have a, actually a lot of crane operator listeners. <laughs> it's actually like one of um, our specific demographics. But um, yeah, so log on to LureSocial.com. You, you create an account, and then and then what happens from there? How do you so, sort of... Uh, like I said, we can start with the tour opener. Um, you can go in and click on all the shows are there, so you could, not that you would put in... You know your lineup for every show. You'd start with the first one, obviously, and see how how you do. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the first the first show of the tour is always very challenging because you have the entire catalog to deal with. So, what we would say is, don't be discouraged after the first show because <laughs> even professionals uh, such as Tom or ourselves or RJ <laughs> don't get down and out for the first show. There's just so many options. I would left. just call Trey and find out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Are you <laughs> allowed to play? Because <laughs> you can you can actually swing. Well, Trey the... claims that he makes up. The set list, so. We'll see. We'll see how well you do. <laughs> Tom is not a set list guy, but if he starts winning, <laughs> then we'll know. We're going to um, have to kick him off if yeah. he starts winning. But uh, in all seriousness, um, okay, so the construct of when you log in, um, you've got, it mirrors a, a typical fish show, so two sets with an encore. Uh, so when you log in, you can select two openers, two closers, an encore, two cover songs, a long jam, uh, a deep cut, which would be a, a song that hasn't been played in 25 to 74 shows. So, you know, it occurs with somewhat regularity, but yeah. not every night. Um, a bust out, which would be a song that hasn't been played in 75 or more shows. Um, and then you have four rotation songs, which are just, you know, songs you think they may play that, that night. Um, would a bust out also fulfill a deep cut if you put them both in the same slot? It would not. Way? It would not. There's actually, we've got a logic built into the site, which, okay. which does not... That. It doesn't allow that. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, so, so you can't put a, a non-bust out into a bust out song uh, <laughs> oh, in the okay. slot. Oh, it figures out that. Okay, so yeah. people like me who aren't really up on the stats would be guided by Lure's logic. Well, exactly. And so, so to that point, you can if you click on, for anyone participating at home and checking this out as we go, if you click on the, the find a song icon there, you'll see a research section which reveals the last time a song was played, the gap between uh, that the, nice. the last play, um, and will also kind of guide you to you know whether it's a cover, a deep cut, or a bust out. So it sort of helps you make intelligent decisions. Exactly. It doesn't. Okay. It doesn't let you. Uh, it helps you. Foul. It helps guide okay. you. But um, 
as for the derivative-based scoring, you can put something as an opener. Um, if you hit it as an opener, it's six points. If you don't, but they still play it that night, you still get points. It's ah. only three. Um, and, and for the deep cuts, it's nine. For the bust-outs, it's 15. Uh, for the covers, it's four and a half. Uh, we did, like, like I said, Matt and I did pretty extensive research on how often songs are played or how often they're not played, and we ran uh, dry runs for hypothetical shows and uh, figured out a point-based scoring system that we think really works out well. We've been um, we've had this site live for a couple of years, um, albeit we're you know we're launching in a more big in a bigger way now. But um, the, the points the point scoring system really works well. It's, we haven't had any complaints about the fairness of it. Is there a deadline before the show? Uh, where you have to have your choices selected? There is, yeah. So um, as Ryan suggested, there, there's you have access to enter set, uh, your set list in advance of the show, but we'll close, there's the window, so to speak, closes uh, generally an hour in advance of, of the, you know, uh, the, the show starting. Okay. So between an hour and a half an hour. You know, we want, it, we realize that people have busy schedules and, you know, it's not one minute before the show. Yeah, I mean, you can... There's a scheduler, you know. Yeah, if you click into a particular show, you can actually see a countdown clock that that will count down until uh, the show closes down. It's typically, like Matt said, we'll give people... Try to give them within a half an hour. We don't want to get too cute in case, you know, Trey and the boys decide to come on a little bit earlier. Obviously, we know they they like their 8.10-ish, 8.15 kind of time slot traditionally for whatever time zone it is, but... Um, we realize that people have busy schedules and they're going to the show and they want to play as well, but we don't want to shut them out. So we try to keep it as close to we can as we can without, you know, going right, right. into the show opening time. So if you choose an encore, that's a, also a cover. Like, could good times, bad times fulfill both, or how does that work? Uh, it, it only works for, for the slot in which you placed it. Okay. But um, as Ryan suggested, you know, the, there's the scoring for an encore is different than it is for. It. For a cover, okay. So, um, so like Yahtzee, you have to be very discriminating about where you choose to place your your star quarterback. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, correct. Yeah, not so, at all like Yahtzee, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you play night night by night, do you do people like if if I, which I probably will, like hit a bunch of stuff on the first night. I'm just kidding, I won't at all. But like, then do you carry over? Because I know it goes throughout the tour, but also you can play each night differently. Cumulative? So is it, is it so, cumulative or is it show by show but, or, or does it depend? Uh, as I mentioned before, we have many tour subsets within yep. tours. So for this particular 18 um, tour, we're going to have the proper 2018 running up until a curveball. So there'll be a cumulative base scoring winners. Cool. And you know, if you like, if it's if that's too much for you to start, um, and you want to play against your friends, let's say you guys are just going to Harvey's, um, you're welcome to play for that night, and yep. you know, compete against your friends for that night, and yep. stop playing. We'd encourage you to keep playing, but yep. there'll be a there'll be a cumulative base winners um, throughout throughout the tour. Cool. Um, so we encourage you to play. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, I would say though, um, we've we've you know established that there are you know three the three night runs you know kind of warrant discrete mini tours as well as in addition to the the whole tour itself but you know if, if beyond just if, if you're interested in establishing a more discrete tour with your friends you know hit us up there's a contact page at the bottom and um, you know in addition to that feedback we welcome any other that's really cool and so if anyone thinks that well people who haven't done this and I've done it informally with friends that 
you know, shows and we write on the back of envelopes and things. But um, for people who think it's easy, I, I was just listening to the first show of the 2017 summer tour um, from Northerly Island, and I didn't realize until I went back yesterday and listened to the show that it, What's the Use was the opener, which is like, I mean... That can't happen. How would you like, possibly <laughs> guess well, that? So it's, our, it's fun. It's fun but difficult. Yeah, our, our thought process on that maybe was that... Who's Trey or you know the, the band, you know, kind of giving a nod to you know, maybe people like us or you know like what what's the use you know you know the, as we know as we all all fans of the band these these guys always keep us on our toes and um, I kind of thought that was a, a, a subconscious nod to the people that are always trying to call the openers and you know <laughs> to a bigger degree us saying. What is the use? And yeah. Kind of call this, and we're yeah. gonna really screw with you because they don't even try. There's right. one thing that yeah. that the boys love doing is 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 you know playfully having fun with us fans. So I, I loved I heard the that, entire Pink Floyd Dark Side of the Moon. Well, that was after after yeah, yeah. yeah. Vegas. Yeah, glad I went to Vegas. When yeah. they played What's the Use, I actually <laughs> had a big smile on my face because I I, I took it almost as a, as, a, as not to us and anybody else trying to call the openers. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, openers are becoming harder to to call. Axela two might 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 be the right call for this for this yeah. this tour opener. Well, that would be a bust out for sure. So <laughs> I hope there's monetary prizes for winning the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Well, there, there aren't. That's a good question, actually. <laughs> there aren't monetary prizes, but there are prizes, and, yeah. and we've had prizes um, from you know kind of merchandise, posters, shirts, stuff of that nature, but also just tickets. You know, so mm-hmm. um, we've given away we've given away tickets to shows for future shows. So hypothetically, if you win the summer tour, um, we will. You get tickets for tickets for well, yeah, yeah. T- three nights of Taylor Swift. <laughs> if you come in last, we force you to go to uh, you know, a show you don't want to go to. But no, in all seriousness, we've had we've had uh, we've had partners in the past that we'd like to uh, reconnect with. Um, whether it's Fish Merchandise, uh, Funk Your Face is, is one that um, you know they've they've been really great with us, and they've they've been done giveaways for shades for Fit the Donut Shades that you guys all see yep. and love on tour. So. Uh, we'll be announcing that as tour comes a little bit closer. Yep. But um, there are there are uh, goodies and grab bag items to win. And if, um, like Matt said before, if if there are particular things or sites, or if, if you're a vendor yourself and you'd like to be involved, um, you know certainly hit us up. It's it's Ryan R Y A N at Lore Social, and Matt at Lore Social as well. Um, we'd be you know more than happy to work with um, other people in the community. We've um, you know, we've spoken and worked with a lot of you in the past, and if we haven't, we'd encourage you to reach out to us. Yeah, absolutely. And you guys have been doing the fish um, tours for three-plus years, and you've been doing it with other bands. Um, and we're obviously, we encourage people to check it out and, and play this summer. Um, we're going to be doing a partnership through Osiris and HF Pod and Under the Scales and a couple of our other podcasts um, where we're going to be you're going to be hearing a little bit more about Lure Social, but um, we're going to also, on our quick hits that we'll do for HF Pod for, I think this will be the third or fourth year in a row, we've been doing the quick hits um, every morning after the show. We'll give a quick update of how people are doing and standings and all that. And we're excited to to kind of, you know, expose our listeners to this and, and hope people get involved because it's really cool and it's fun. And I think it's like a really user-friendly way for people to get involved and you know, compete against friends and sort of share in the groove in a in another another interesting way. Yeah, look, I, I would say beyond just the, the gaming which you, you see on here today, if you're if you're checking it out, um, a couple of things have come from the origination, the ideation, 
um, and the development here is, and the participation is that, you know, one, there's, there's, you'll see by virtue of the, the number of users today, that there's a community, it's emerging, it's growing. Um, and this, this game is really just truthfully like the tip of the iceberg in terms of ways in which, you know, uh, bands can engage bands. You know, we think that there's a, the prospect here that um, it, it creates kind of a heightened engagement with the band when you're seeing them, uh, with your friends and attending. Uh, conceivably, bands and, and if, can inform uh, you know audience participation or, or you know how they're thinking about it, and we've seen that probably more in, in some other bands um, who've reached out to us to to want to put themselves on the site for uh, their fans' participation. Um, but there's there's clearly a, an emergence or a trend that we're we're moving towards in terms of like a, a communal aspect of beyond just gaming, which it, it's. It's uh, uniting, but it also depends upon the manner in which you're doing it. It can be a little divisive if you have a, a, a fan who's you're, you're engaging and, and competing against. Are you guys implying um, that you're trying to figure out other ways of engaging this fan base? Now that you've kind of got our attention, you're, you're going to introduce other uh, games, perhaps? Yeah, absolutely. So, so what you see on there today is, is really just first concept which we brought to uh, market and there there are other um, there are others which we are developing today um, and in addition as I said you know, there are other bands if you look back you can see some of the bands that we've uh, brought onto the site and, and, and people have gamed on there are others which we'll be bringing on if you have for people participating and listening today if there are bands which you know you 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 know, you're in a band or you're, you follow a band and you think it would, would work well here please let us know um, and then in addition to just the gaming, we, we suggested that there's a, a real communal aspect which is emerging from this. And, you know, there's, there's going to be derivations or, or, or kind of opportunities to create, um, you know, alternatives to, to kind of the fan-band interaction. Enhance the crowd experience and exactly. enhance the band experience, that kind of thing. Exactly. There's some powerful ideas that I can't quite grasp, but smart people like you guys can. I'm sure you're working on it. Yeah, you'll be... Um Without giving too much away, you'll be seeing more from us in the future, for sure. That's great. Uh, we've got a lot of great new ideas. Um, like Matt said, I think it's the fan-to-band engagement, and it's the tip of the iceberg. We've got more games, per se, that are slightly different from the ones we've explained, and they're on the site now. We've, we've also kind of bigger picture ideas that, um, I like that you'll be seeing down the road from us, for sure. You guys now are, are sponsors of Osiris. But then you've also mentioned turning it the other way that you guys have sponsors in a sense, the people who provide the uh, prizes and stuff, and you'd like to be in touch with more of them. But also as your fan base grows, that's another dynamic. But then the other one that we kind of haven't talked about, you've alluded to, is there's other bands as well. And you were mentioning before that you did a lot of research on Fish's particular fingerprint as to when they play a song and, and how often it's been played and all that stuff. I imagine that kind of research is completely unique band by band. So uh, you can't do that same kind of analytics on Dave Matthews that you have done with Fish. Well, to be honest, when we, when we crank the numbers, if you will, with, um, with Fish, you'd actually be surprised because back in 2015, we were looking at Pearl Jam, for example, which we've uh, tested on the site as well, and their tour, which is was similar to Fish's tour at the time, it was about 22 shows. Um, there, um, you know, we cranked up a bunch of different ways to look at you know, the song selection, the, the um, 
uniqueness of the song selection, the amount of songs played, the covers. Um, if the, our, we had a proprietary model that came up with a, an end score for it, and you, I was shocked <laughs> and appalled, but Pearl Jam actually had a very similar numbers to Fish, actually slightly more from the um, derivative of songs played. People have said that to me that Pearl Jam is very similar. Yes. Pearl Jam actually, for a few tours, if you go back to 15, 14, 13, the way we looked at it in our proprietary models, they they actually had a a slightly higher number than Fish uh, for the score, for for our our scores. The way you scored it. The way I scored it, but we were looking at amount of songs played, um, times played, you know. Right. There's some magic number that Trey was trying to attain and keep beating every year, which was the most unique songs played per year. Right. I think they hit 200 that one tour. That was the tour that did all the covers. It might be 251 or something is a magic number that sticks in my head. I don't know if like Pearl Jam could beat that, for example. For I was Pearl thinking, Jam that, I was thinking there was no band that could possibly beat it, but then I think someone had brought up Pearl Jam. Well, it was the it was the tour. It was the tour where they played "Skin It Back" as an opener in James Beach. I, th- yeah. I think we were at that show. I think that was 2012, or possibly where they came out saying they wanted to do over you know, 200 different shows, and that would probably be the end. song. Sorry. Anyway, you don't have to be song geeks like we're talking. We're geeking out right now. You don't have to be song geeks to enjoy your guys. Game. Yeah, that's right, Tom. And, and, and to, your, to your other point about the you know the constructs for other bands, the, you know we've looked at we've had Mo on here, we've had Humphreys um, McGee on here, and, and a handful of others. And, oh, good. And e- each one is unique. We we have looked at it. Um, and in, in consideration, for example, of Humphreys, you know, there, there's a you know the, the sandwich convention where you have like a song segment, other songs back, and the song that started from. And if, in, in gaming on 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 Humphreys, you have the opportunity to reflect those sandwich. You know, predictions, if you will, in, in, in here on Laura. Because that's unique to them. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. There are there are certainly a base case that is that is similar, but there's also like Matt alluded to some of like Humphreys with the sandwich. So there are little idiosyncratic uh, differences amongst the bands that um, we can tailor fit um, depending on who the band we're talking about is. Nice. So you guys have run the numbers <laughs> on all these different bands. A lot of numbers on a lot of bands. <laughs> Um, Song geeks. Yeah. Well, so we're gonna we're gonna leave the the audience with a little bit of the show from five nineteen ninety one from the Salisbury School, which was Matt's first show, because I think that seems appropriate given that that was the the show you started with. Um, but yeah, we're we're looking forward to to hearing more from you guys and to talking more about Lure as as summer tour progresses. So we encourage people to check out Lure Social L U R E Social dot com and. Um, sign up and play, and um, maybe you can beat maybe you can beat Tom at guessing songs. I'll be playing, <laughs> and I'll be angry if you beat me. <laughs> well, thank thank you guys for having us on, and we're we're super excited about the uh, partnership that Lure's um, initiating, and vice versa. With yeah, Osiris. thank you for sponsoring Osiris. Yep. So be hearing more from uh, I guess both both of us. Yeah. in the future. And um, it'll be a couple of weeks until tour um, when this comes out, so people should start signing up and get, get your song choices in. Um, thanks, Ryan and Matt, for coming on and, and sharing your a little bit about your history, but also about, about this cool project you guys created. Thank you very much. Thank you. At Carvana, we're in the business of driving you happy. And with the widest selection of used cars under $20,000, you're bound to find a car that'll put a smile on your face. Carvana gives you control by letting you customize your down and monthly payments. You can browse tens of thousands of cars online to find one within your budget 
and you won't get surprised with any bogus fees. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to shop for a vehicle. Carvana, we'll drive you happy. Availability may vary by market. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Forward progression. Happy birthday to Josh. We love you, Josh. So is anybody keeping score here at the tally? How many Pomford students have actually... Uh, <laughs> have actually seen the Headmaster's Office. They get right caught there a lot, huh? What time is it anyway? There's still some time left. this out to anyone in the headmaster's office. Fuck your face.
One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or were nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.